This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there too. Welcome to HITS radio. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. Today, I don't have a guest, but I will be here just by myself. I'm going to talk a little bit about using uh, e-collars, power collars. Power collars are near and dear to my heart. I think if you're training police dogs, um, that the very best way, most efficient way, and the most humane way to train a high-drive police dog, especially for patrol, is for an e-collar. I do a lot of detection training. Not a real big fan of e-collars for detection dogs, but occasionally... You get a dog that is so resistant to just basic obedience, uh, sometimes an e-collar is an easy way to, to kind of get the dog over a hump, uh, just to get the, the most basic obedience on some dogs. So certainly not against it for uh, detection dogs, but primarily today I'm going to be talking about using an e-collar for patrol dogs. It would be really difficult to uh, be on a podcast or even a classroom and try and explain the proper way to use an e-collar. There is a whole bunch of different ways that people use e-collars all successfully. You know, there's a, some people who use them, they call it as an extension of the leash. And it's uh, mostly as a correction with it. Um, I like to use e-collars. Uh, I call it a communication device. And I just shape the dog's behavior using very, very mild stimulation, uh, properly timed. Uh, it would be it would be really hard to kind of sit there and explain all of that. So I like when I'm teaching e-collars is to be out on a field, have 10 or 11 dog teams out there. The reason I like to have that many dogs is that way all the students in the class, all the handlers get to see lots of different dogs, not just their own, get to see all the nuances that each dog has and the proper way to to balance out the the proper stimulation for every single dog just to practice on it. So I, I do a class, it's a three-day class, and it's a lot of uh, hands-on. We run through a lot of dogs, and we make a, a pretty significant difference in the control of the dogs over those three days. So I've had a lot of handlers who maybe were frustrated with uh, what they perceived as lack of control of their dog, and all we do is, is use the e-collar. There's no punishment involved in it. It's just to clear the dog's head and shape his behavior into doing what we want, and uh, it takes a lot of stress out of the dog, which is counterintuitive to a lot of people. I think a lot of people, including myself, I used to think that an e-collar would create stress. And indeed, the first ways that I saw e-collars used, it did create stress. So if, if uh, the days of uh, throwing an e-collar on a dog and, and turn it up really, really high and hitting them as hard as you can to try and make them release, I hope those days are long behind us. Um, luckily, um, in, in the agency I work for, it's always been pretty judicious. We've always been uh, real light on the e-collars if you will and uh probably about 15 20 years ago i took a really good e-collar class i learned really good ways to uh stimulate the dogs at very low levels in order to shape their behavior without creating any stress and in fact in the system that i teach when the dog shows confusion or shows stress we stop and it's all modular training so if the dog is showing some stress or confusion all the action stops we figure out which module to go back to or how to change things and then we end up uh, taking that stress out of the dog so it, it ends up being almost a, a it can be a just a fun easy way to, to uh, train the dogs with an e-collar and it's not stressful so what i wanted to do today with this podcast is not really talk about how to use an e-collar 
But just over the hundreds and hundreds of dogs that I've trained and teams and departments that I've consulted with, I've come up with a, a list of common mistakes. So regardless of how you're using an e-collar, I think there's some common mistakes that I see all over the place. And it would be, again, be too difficult to sit here and go over all the different ways that you can use an e-collar, the right way, the wrong way, how you know trainer A uses it and trainer B uses it, the good and bad of all those. Because truly in every system of dog training, there's going to be some good and some bad. And as a handler or a trainer, you know, figure out what works for you and, and maybe have a few other tools in your pocket for the for the different dogs and be able to adapt those. So e-collar is no different. Um, I think you should understand, um, you know, definitely understand dog behavior, definitely understand some dog psychology. And when you do that, you can apply, you know, the stimulus to the dog properly using an e-collar. And it's the most humane way uh, to train a dog that that I can see. And the reason I keep stressing how humane it is is because one of the first common mistakes that I come across is departments that don't have a written policy for using e-collars. Some people don't realize that the e-collar has actually been banned now in Germany. It's banned in the UK. It's banned in parts of Canada. And now even in Holland, where a lot of our dogs come from, the use of an e-collar is also banned. So I want you, if you think about that, that, that could really affect our, our entire global market if if the country that is producing a huge percentage of our dogs, if they can no longer uh, you, you know, use an e-collar, are the dogs going to get a little softer? Are they going to get a little weaker because it's easier to train a, a dog without an e-collar if he's a little bit lower drive? There are some ramifications you know, to, to losing this very valuable tool. And what I see across the country, in our country, is there'll be different uh, groups of, of animal rights, animal uh maybe an animal behaviorist who trains pet dogs that somehow has come across the idea that using an e-collar is cruel. So you can imagine that if uh, one of these groups approaches your chief and you've never talked to your chief about how we train the dog, and let's face it, you know, most of our chiefs know they have dog units, probably support the dog unit with, you know, funding and training time like that and, and uh, probably definitely like some of the work you do, but they don't really know how the nuts and bolts are done, how the dog, how we get the dogs to do what they do. And it's really not a career path that a lot of chiefs have gone through. So how we do things, um, if, if you can get chiefs to come and see how we use it and make sure you show them the e-collar and show them that it's not a cruel thing. Because what I'm trying to do is head off at the pass that when some investigative reporter calls your chief and says, hey, you know, your dogs are being shocked and it's cruel or whatever crazy stuff they come up with. I want your chief to be able to say, hold on a minute, we have a policy. You know, we've talked about it. This is how the dogs, this is how the, the e-collar is used. There's nothing inhumane about it. That would stop it right there. But if the chief doesn't know what you're doing and hasn't uh, ever before looked at the uh, policy, then, you know, he might all of a sudden think, well, that does sound bad. You know, I don't want to have any ill will towards my department. I don't want to have any bad publicity. So yeah, I'll just get rid of the e-collar. And unfortunately, some of us have uh, seen, you know, the chiefs that uh, he or she could never be wrong. So once they make that uh, policy, it might be very difficult to get them to change their mind later. So by having a written policy, which most agencies do not, I believe that when this question is asked of you, and it will be at some point, because I see it happening more and more regularly across the country, when it's asked, your chief will already be well informed as to how how a e-collar works, how you're using it, what you're doing with it, and how and what the what the reason we have them for, and hopefully that'll stop you know any more questions about it. So at minimum, 
an e-collar policy, I think, should explain how a collar will be used in training and on the street. It should define who the authorized person to train on the proper use is. So somebody, the trainer of the department, should have some advanced knowledge on the e-collar and not only know how to use the e-collar him or herself, but they should also be able to train a person on how to use it. And then define uh, in the in the policy, I, I think it should define that the proper placement of the collar is on the neck only, period. And I've seen, I've been to training where, you know, maybe in a classroom they've advocated different part, placement for the an e-collar for different problems, and absolutely not. The e-collar belongs on the neck and the neck only. Anywhere else is uh, subject to, I think, some very bad publicity and and. It's it's uh, obviously it's just not something that I condone. And then you know the policy should the e-call be mandatory or not? You know that's a department uh, decision. You know always always have a little bit of discretion. Don't don't quickly say all dogs will wear e-collars because there are the occasional dog that does not function well with an e-collar. And then I also think the policy should set some type of standard for the training before use. So maybe have it as a one or two day part of a, a beginning canine academy that you're going to focus on the e-collar, maybe, uh, you know, have a, a short practical at the end of it. Something that before you hand a handler the, uh, the transmitter for an e-collar, that there's some type of standard that the handler understands how it's going to be used. I believe by having the policy and the training in effect long before questions are asked, hopefully then when Peter or somebody calls up your chief, he can explain, you know, no, this is how we do it, and nope, there's nothing cruel about it. The dogs are merely stimulated on a very low level, and we do it in, to ensure the safety of the dog, safety of the public. All those different things that your policy would say, it would keep you from losing a very valuable piece of equipment. And there are a few scattered agencies around the country that because of different uh, either improper use by handlers that was documented on the news, and or just you know people asking different chiefs that now uh, will not let their departments use an e-collar. So uh, another real common problem that I see or common mistake, uh, mistake number two that I written down, I've written down here, is not having sufficient training. So this follows up in just what I was talking about. So if uh, if the trainer of the unit doesn't really know how to use the collar properly and then passes on that incorrect knowledge to all of his handlers, the whole uh, department is going to have problems with their e-collar. And when you're using an e-collar inconsistently, and again, like I said, there's there's dozens of ways to properly use an e-collar. And I've, you know, I've seen lots of them. I've seen uh, more ways to not use an e-collar that I, you know, I don't like. But when you're using an e-collar improperly, what you're going to get is inconsistent performance on the dog. Maybe a dog that doesn't want to search anymore. Uh, and I've seen that. I've seen strong dogs that don't want to search because, you know, they're getting tired of getting fried every time they step out of line uh, so they just quit searching they just heal all the time um, you'll get definitely you can get aggression from the dog you know let's face it getting shocked at a high level and putting pain into me isn't going to be all that much fun so at some point even dogs that are not uh, typically a rank dog would probably eventually want to come up the leash to try and uh, get that to negate that problem um, we'll get dogs uh, that won't engage in a fight or won't stay at won't engage at all or won't stay in a fight they'll do a, a two-second bite, and then because they've worked so much release with inappropriate e-collar, the dog will bite for a second or two seconds and then run back to the handler. 
Sometimes you'll see a dog that doesn't want to range again because the the e-collar has created a very, very short invisible leash. And then the last, uh, one of the last problems that uh, an inconsistent, improper use of an e-collar will do is it'll create a dog that's only obedient when he's wearing an e-collar. And I'm going to go very deep into that in uh, number five when we get to it. But there's a lot of ways that uh, people create collar-dependent dogs, and I'll talk about that a lot when we get to, to number five. So again, training is vital. And even if you've been a dog handler for a long time, have an open mind. Go to a couple of e-collar classes and, and see what you see. See if there's stuff you like. Look at departments and look at how their dogs and their patrol division are reacting to the way they're using their e-collar. That's kind of what got me really interested into it is I was fortunate to spend some time with a larger agency than mine, and I really liked the way their dogs worked, and then I watched them train. They were using e-collars a lot more at the time than my department was, it was quite a while back. And uh, by the time I left, I was sold on using the e-collar, but I just knew I had a big learning curve and how I wanted to learn it. What I learned later after that was just having an open mind, you can properly you can be trained properly to use an e-collar in just a couple of days. It's really nothing that hard. Um, it's just getting rid of some bad habits and not not using an e-collar um, for punishment. So another common mistake is uh, being intimidated by the e-collar. And what I'm talking about here is that the first uh, first day that I train an e-collar class, one of the things I do is I tell everybody to take their e-collars out, stick it on their arm, and power it. And half the class is like, no way. It's like, come on, guys. It's very low, you know, feel it. And what I'm saying when I'm being intimidated by the e-collar is I really don't like the idea that you'll stick something on your dog without ever feeling it and being terrified of feeling that stimulation on yourself. So I think that every handler, when they're going to use it, they should put the e-collar on their, their arm, on the back of their hand, on the front of their hand, on their neck. Feel it at low levels a few different uh, ways so you can feel the different types of stimulation that it is and see that it's not going to, you know, it doesn't create heat. It's not going to burn um, at a low level. It's just kind of like licking a battery. But it will surprise you if you uh, throw that out to a group of dog handlers. Say, everybody put your e-collar on your own neck. That half of them will probably balk and say, absolutely not. No way would I ever do that. But then when you say, you know, here, put this on your dog, they they don't think twice about it. So, you know, I think you should understand what, what tool you're using, you know, and I, I've said the same thing. Like I've, I've put a pinch collar around my, my bicep just to be able to pull on it and just kind of feel how does it work? Does it poke? Does it pinch? Whatever. I think you should understand what you're doing to your dog. So that way when you're using that for whether it's a communication or correction, at least you understand what the stimulation is to the dog. So don't be intimidated by it. You know, you go out and use it. Common mistake number four that I outline in my class is not properly introducing the e-collar. So I like to properly introduce the e-collar by first putting the e-collar on the dog just every day when once he's once I've had him or we've selection tested him, we're gonna we know we're gonna get him at least get him going into training. You know, you never know till the dog's done in case you run into other problems with the dog. But once we know we're gonna uh, put this dog into the training academy, then I would I like to kind of get the dog used to wearing the e-collar a lot. So it's just on there. Just a, a little bit of weight on him that he doesn't uh, doesn't feel any stimulation. The collar's turned off, and I just want the dog to kind of get used to having the e-collar on him. Then the first time that he's ever going to feel that stimulation, it's going to be no, with a known command. 
So when I go to introduce it, it's going to be with, I'll ask the, the handler, does he sit best? Does he down best? Does he heel best? Whatever his very best command is, then we're going to do that and we'll give the dog a little bit of stimulation outside, not with the collar. Maybe if we're going to heal it, maybe we'll just have a soccer ball and make the handler uh, walk by with the dog muzzled in a soccer ball. So uh, the dog wants to go play at the soccer ball. And then at the time that the handler says the command, I'll stimulate the dog exactly the same time. And all we're going to do is pair that stimulation with a known command. We're not going to train any new commands using the collar at this point. All we're doing is letting the dog understand that this weight uh, on my collar can sometimes stimulate me and that I want the dog to have no question that it's paired with a command, that no question that it's coming from the handler. I've seen a few classes where um, the handlers or the trainers have told me that they don't want the dog to ever know that the the stimulation comes from the handler. They want it to be some magical thing and they think that it helps a bond with the handler. I really disagree with that. I think that uh, the dog should absolutely understand that the stimulation is being caused by the handler and it's, uh, that by uh, listening to the command and doing the command, the stimulation will be shut off. I think it, when it's the mystery power coming from you know the hand of God, I think that would create a lot of confusion in the dog. So at this point when I'm introducing the e-collar, it's just some known commands very, very low stimulation, just tickling the dog, basically just getting him to understand there's a little tickle there. Absolutely nothing that's going to hurt the dog, nothing that's going to make the dog bark or show any type of discomfort, just a little, very, very low stimulation, just teaching the dog that it's on him and that it's not any big deal. And I'll spend as much time as I need with that. Some dogs, they need just a few minutes with it because you can tell that like in Europe, they've already had it. Some dogs, uh, you have to spend a day or two just getting them used to that weird stimulation because they'll kind of jump, they'll like try to lick their butt, you know, they'll spin around like, what was that? You know, and, and when they're showing you that startled behavior, you can't move on until the dog is properly introduced. And by skipping this step and not doing it right, you're only going to create yourself problems for a very long time. So it needs to be nice and slow introduction, real uh, low key, get the dog used to it. Conversely, sometimes dogs come out of Europe and they have had an e-collar. They're fine. They accept it. Or they believe that that very low stimulation is going to turn into a gigantic uh, shock later because maybe somebody was hurrying their training and and used an e-collar for punishment. So those are dogs that are also you're going to have to take your time just to teach them, nope, I'm not going to, I'm not going to fry you. Never happen again. You're just going to feel this low stimulation. So again, take your time, uh, introduce, it pro- introduce it properly, take your time with it. That's a really important step. Uh, again, regardless how you're going to use it down the road, um, how you introduce it is going to pay off dividends. The other thing that I like to do is once the dog's getting real good with it is I like having the dog in muzzle and I like introducing the dog when uh, we're kicking soccer balls around or something in a, in a field or a gymnasium or something where the dog's got a lot of energy and wants to go bash the ball around, then I can call him back, I can make him heal, I can make him sit, I can make him down while I'm kicking the ball around. And that I'll do that throughout the whole career of the dog because it's just an easy way to keep some maintenance training up on the dog with a lot of stimulation. And the other reason I like to do that is occasionally when you start using the stimulation, when you're doing bite work and you have a decoy or two decoys out on the field, some dogs, uh, you know, when they're trying to figure out what the stimulation is and how do I turn it off, some dogs I've seen it on rare occasions where they start thinking that the decoy is causing the problem and they'll almost 
act like there's a force field around the decoy and they'll try to avoid going close to the decoy unless maybe they're on a bite. But when they're just healing, they'll like try to stay away from the decoy because they think getting too close to the decoy is going to cause that stimulation. So the reason I like to do the introduction to the e-collar with a soccer ball is that if there are some problems and the dog has any type of uh, mental problems from you know the day or two of when you're you're just getting him used to it, it won't affect his biting. It won't affect any of his uh, other other work at all. So if if the dog say was having trouble with the introducing the e collar and you need to go do some bite work, take the e collar off him. Go do your bite work. Do some bite build up. If it's a young dog, whatever you're going to do with the dog, and then revisit introducing the e collar maybe tomorrow, the next day again with a soccer ball and keep the two things separate. So that way the dog never takes any any baggage along with the bite work. That step, if it's a dog that's never felt an e-collar and has truly never been trained on release, by doing that step and not creating any baggage about how the dog feels about the electricity, the stimulation, um, when he first does it with bite work, is going to save you a lot of trouble. And because that is a lot of times uh, when people are doing release problems, they go too high on the e-collar and they create a lot of baggage and it starts creating a lot of stress and the dog actually will start biting harder because the the stress of the e-collar so by taking the the introduction of the e-collar away from the bite work part if there's any uh stress at all he's not going to carry that over into the bite work and you're going to start with kind of a easy clear-headed dog when you start doing bite work and you start doing release work and healing off a bite type stuff so again uh, i can't overemphasize enough to take your time uh, take nice slow time uh, introduce the dog if he's never been on e-collar Again, most dogs, once you uh, put the e-collar on them, you'll see that most of the dogs coming out of Europe, even the young ones, uh, ones that are too young to have an e-collar on them, you can tell that they've felt it before. You'll get a pretty good read as to whether that was done right or wrong, but most dogs have a little bit of a problem with it. So uh, going on to number five, mistake, common mistake number five. If you don't take anything else from this podcast, I just want you to just think about this and think about how we how do we create a collar dependent dog. And if if you've been around dogs for you know any length of time, you've seen the dog that's a robot with an e collar on, and and then you take the e collar off, and he's a soup sandwich. That was the last thing that I wanted to have. I wanted to have a dog that whether he had an e collar on or if my e collar wasn't sitting on him right, so I wasn't getting any stimulation to him. Or if I, you know, the e-collar died or whatever, I didn't want to have a dog that, okay, I got to stop because my e-collar is not working. So I knew early on when I really got into e-collars that I wanted to be able to shape a dog and not create a collar-dependent dog. So in a nutshell, how does it happen? How do we create a dog that has to have an e-collar on in order to work? And you see it done all the time. And it's simply that the dog is given a command and then the person that, whether it's the handler, or the trainer, whoever has the the uh, remote, it, they'll wait a half a second or a second, two seconds. So, you know, the scenario might go like this: where uh, handler sends the dog on a bite, gives the dog a bite when he tells the dog to come off the bite, gives them the command, and then that dog doesn't feel that stimulation for a half a second, a second, two seconds, whatever it is. They'll wait and see if the dog will do it. So they send the bite. Tell them los, and then it's 1,001, 1,002. Then they stimulate the dog with the collar. Then the dog comes off there. Once you've done that just a couple times, all you're teaching the dog is the feel if the collar's on or not. So more than once I've seen dogs that will take a bite, 
you give them the command, they'll actually shake their head and they'll want to feel, can I feel the weight of that e-collar on me? And when they can't feel the weight of that e-collar, they're not coming off because that e-collar, they know that in two seconds you're going to give me a correction with the e-collar or you're going to stimulate me with the e-collar, so I need to come off. But if it's not on me, you don't have anything. So the way that you avoid creating a collar-dependent dog is that when you're training with your dog, you pair the command and the simulation simultaneously each and every time. So when you're training with that dog and you tell him to heal, he's going to feel stimulation. When you tell him to lay down, he's going to feel stimulation. This is very, very low stimulation. Very, very low stimulation. The kind that just almost tickles the dog. Nothing about it is punishment. It's just letting him know that he's there. And that's how you're going to start shaping that dog. So when you give him a release command, you're going to pair the release command at the exact same time he's going to feel that stimulation every single time you're training. Once you start testing it and saying, okay, well, I want to test it, and then if he doesn't do it, then I'll hit him with the e-collar and give him some stimulation. That's how you're going to start creating a collar-dependent dog. So just take a second while you're listening to this podcast and just do that in your head. Just think of how many times have you or your training group, have you seen someone give a command and then you wait 1,001, 1,002, and then you hit the dog with the e-collar with whatever stimulation level you do it at. That all you're doing is creating the dog that needs an e-collar. Change that training today so that every single time you're training, you uh, pair the stimulation from the e-collar with the command at the exact same time every single time you're training him. Every single time. And then work the dog up. If you're even just by yourself and you're just doing what I talked about earlier and you're kicking a soccer ball around, you can do that. Give the dog a high level of stimulation. Be kicking the ball, making the dog heal. Give him a little bit of stimulation if he breaks out of the heel. Give him a down command and give him a little stimulation. When he's kicking the ball around himself across the field and you tell him to heal back to you, give him stimulation the second that you say that command. They have to be paired together. Pairing the two together will shape that dog so that he will just think in his mind that when I hear los or I hear heal and I'm biting, I have to open my mouth and get back to dad if he says heal. They won't have time to, to start thinking, okay, I'm going to wait and see if he actually has the collar on me today. So when you shape their behavior, you do it properly. All the dogs that I run through this e-collar program, it's really, really easy after just a few days to take the collar off the dog and work him with no e-collar on him. Because all we're doing is clearing the dog's head properly and stimulating the dog appropriately and pairing the command with the stimulation and the dog doesn't use the e-collar as a crutch. So the collar-dependent dog is 100% created by waiting that little gap in between the um, command and the correction. So shouldn't say 100%, but it's the most likely reason your dog is collar dependent is because of that. So simply by pairing those two together, you can avoid yourself a lot of trouble having the dog that will only use it when you uh, have the e-collar on them. So the sixth uh, common mistake that I talk about is using the collar as a quick fix. And this should go go without saying, but uh, you know we've seen it where somebody uh, lacks their proper training all year and every time it's a training day, they go to get their car fixed or they go to the cleaners or they always find something else to do other than doing their proper uh, weekly maintenance training. And then lo and behold, the certification's a week or two out. So now that person shows up, they want to throw a collar on him and stimulate the dog and punish the dog when he doesn't release and try and do it as a, a quick fix. 
if you've uh, witnessed it, you've seen that maybe on a, for a day or so, the dog actually might start releasing. It never, ever, ever uh, works for the long term. It creates a lot of stress on the dog. It creates long-term stress on the dog. It, uh, it never works for any length of time and just creates additional problems. So training needs to be an ongoing process. It's not designed to be, you know, something that you can't just throw the e-collar on and then make up for a year of missed training the night before a certification. So, um, if you're part of a training group or you're a trainer and one of the handlers wants to do that, um, my, my hard advice is to simply refuse. You know, if the person has neglected training for a whole year and now they want to use an e-collar as a quick fix to to try and do some kind of smoke and mirrors thing to get through a certification, if they don't certify, that's not my issue. I've set up training all year long. I've invited them to it. They don't show up all the time. That's not my problem. Maybe not certifying will kind of get their head right to learning how to, to properly maintain the dog. But just because uh, somebody shows up and they want to use a collar an inappropriate way once you know how to use it appropriately, don't let somebody else talk you into, you know, oh, he's my buddy. I want to help him out because he's under pressure because he's got to certify. Well, the pressure is coming because they didn't uh, do the enough maintenance training. And then uh, finally, an each handler should have their own assigned e-collar. It should be part of their equipment. should be part of their training. It should be um, part of their uh, regular equipment. They should be responsible for making sure that it's working correctly, um, if it's not, that goes to the canine supervisor, have maybe an extra one so you can replace it. But having one collar that everybody's passing around and not using it properly, I don't think usually uh, works very well. And the final thing that I'm going to touch on for common mistakes is once people uh, go, like what I've experienced in my own class is that um, a lot of times by day three when handlers are having their dogs do stuff they, they didn't think they could do, Maybe and usually by day three, we'll have four or five decoys out on a field. Um, we'll have the decoys doing different things. I've had them doing jumping jacks and running in circles. You name it, doing all kinds of crazy stuff that um, they didn't think their dog could do. And then they'll end up uh, healing through all the different dogs, sending them on whichever dog they want. Um, those of you who are on Facebook, maybe you saw a, a video that I put on there of myself wearing a, a, a bite suit working my own dog in a bite suit you know so we come up with some crazy things the the third day once the dog once his head's clear it's it's real easy to do it's nothing nothing that all of you can't do but what happens sometimes is uh once they see all the possibilities then all of a sudden they want to use the e-collar for everything so uh an example would be is I, i taught a class and maybe a week or two after that one of the dogs in the class was really a dialed in dog really really nice dog the handler was very attentive, really just a good dude, uh, really hardworking team. He emailed me, and we ended up talking on the phone. But what he wanted to do is he'd come up with an idea that when his dog tracked, and I saw this dog track one day just because we were talking about tracking at lunch, and we ended up going and doing a track just because we had some other things we want to talk about about it. The dog was a, a tracking fool. It tracked very, very well, but he was also kind of high air scent. So uh, this uh, he tracked a little bit, trailed a little bit, put his head up. But he, he could track. Well, the uh, handler went through the school, emailed me, and basically had come up with an idea that he wanted to use the e-collar. Every time the dog lifted his head up, he was going to stimulate him. Now, most of you listening don't understand that would be a really, you know, kind of bad idea right off the bat. The dog's tracking. He's working his hunt, hunt the way that he thinks he should work it. Now, all of a sudden, he's feeling stimulation while he's hunting. So, obviously, I discouraged him strongly from that. I gave him a call and said, why would you want to do that? Well, 
for a short period of time, he had been just seduced by the power of the e-collar. Like, and I've seen that a few times, like where people are see what all the e-collar can do. And then all of a sudden it's like, man, I can, I can do, I can fix everything for it. So before you add anything into your e-collar training, just carefully consider all the ramifications of it. So just, you know, if you're, if you're using it, generally I use an e-collar for healing, for basic obedience, for release, which is, um, I just teach release by having the dog heal. Can't heal and bite at the same time. So I get rid of a lot of different commands and, uh, it always reminds me back to when, uh, you know, I started in this profession about 25 years ago. We had an old handler and, uh, he told me, you know, all this fancy stuff is, is real interesting. He said, but in the end, we heal and we get them. And I remember laughing then, but you know, now 25 years later, and I think about all the different things we do at its core, we do a lot of other things. We do a lot of tactical things, but if you think about it, all those things can be kind of dialed down to we heal and we get them. So uh, keep your keep your training real simple. Keep your use of your e-collar real simple. And when you're going to add something in, I'm going to, uh, if you think I want to tra- start using the e-collar for this type of training, just really carefully can consider it. You know, I've had a lot of people over the years uh, talk to me about using e-collar and detector work. And again, there's a time and a place for it. I'll be very, very careful with it, you know, because when you start putting an e-collar on some of the floppy-eared dogs, now obviously they handle it very well because, you know, bird dogs use e-collars all the time. Um, but if you put an e-collar on maybe a, a floppy-eared dog and the handler doesn't have the different types of uh, training that a lot of the patrol dogs have, uh, then maybe that that is not going to go as well. Um, so it's a little bit different for a detector dog. If you have a detector dog and you are at the end of your rope and you want to ask me some questions about, you know, different things, different ideas or whatever, you can always email me. My uh, email is jeff at hitsk9.net, hitsk9.net. Uh, so you can always check that out. I'll be teaching this class at HITS. I've taught it a couple times. Uh, I've got some videos. We'll get a lot deeper into it. So if you're interested in this, you can always check out hitsk9.net. Check out our whole schedule. Um, it's a class that uh, I'm pretty passionate about. Like I said, I've got a lot of videos. I can answer a lot of different questions by email and try and help people because I'm passionate that the e-collar is a very valuable tool for us, and I like to see people have the success that they should have with it. And I certainly don't want to see anybody misusing the collar, both for themselves and just for this profession in general. You know, if we have uh, one person misusing e-collar somewhere and it was to get enough media attention then we're all going to be kind of hosed on the whole thing so it's a it's the best tool it's certainly not um any abusive tool when used properly it's the most humane way to train very very high drive dogs uh it's just needs to be used properly and the trainers and supervisors uh, have a duty to make sure that it's being used properly and that they're monitoring to make sure that a lazy handler isn't just trying to use it for everything and not doing their, their regular training. So there's a whole lot to an e-collar. I just wanted to go over a couple of uh, what I think are key problems with using e-collars. I have this whole class uh, saved. And I've got it out in uh, slides. So if you like what you heard and you uh, want to be able to read these slides, uh, kind of going over all the different things I just talked about, just shoot me an email, jeff at hitsk9.net. And I'll uh, send you back uh, the PowerPoint that I put together for this class. And 
you're welcome to look at it and uh, hopefully it'll get you to kind of think some different things through maybe uh, if you need extra training contact me on that and uh, possibly we can come and do a hands-on class in your area doing some uh, e-collar work out on the field which is always a whole lot more fun so again thanks uh, this is jeff meyer uh, jeff at hitsk9.net for any questions and then check out hitsk9.net for uh, all of our information on our hits k9 seminar take care and be safe out there thank you if you're looking to make an investment in your canine career, come to HITS 2020. There's no substitute for the real thing. Whether you're a new handler who's looking to learn more about dog training, or an experienced trainer who's looking for new training ideas and techniques, come to HITS 2020 where the investment is well worth the return. HITS 2020 will have more classes and more vendors who give away more free raffle gifts and free cash than ever before. HITS is the world's largest canine seminar and is open to police officers and military members. Our experience makes the difference. You've been there, and we've been there too.